Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters, and this is episode 79 of the podcast. So happy you could be with us today. We've got a lot to talk about. The Under-18 World Championships is over. We can talk about Team USA winning gold. We can talk about all of the great draft pro, uh, the draft prospects that played in that event, the great performances. we got a great guest coming up, Stephen Ellis from the Daily Faceoff. Uh, my old stomping grounds, now Stephen, of course, doing prospect work there. He will be coming up in a little bit in the show. We'll talk about his travels over to Switzerland to the under-18 Worlds and some of the guys that he thought really stood out, some of the things that he noticed while there. And also, just as such an international hockey fan, if you know anything about Stephen Ellis, you know that he loves international hockey, and now he finally got to cover one live. So we'll talk to him all about that. A great guy and a lot of fun to talk to. So we will get into that business later. Also, it's on everybody's mind. The NHL draft lottery is up next Monday. We're going to talk about that in depth. I also put out a call to Talking Hockey Sense listeners. What good luck charms or what rituals are you doing to try to bring every bit of good vibes, every bit of good luck, every bit of hope and everything you could possibly do to make sure that you have everything you need to get ready and get, get your team, Connor Bedard. How do you do it? I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to see what a lot of our listeners said. I got a lot of good answers. We'll share those a little bit later in the show. But before we do all of that, I teased it a little bit already, but we're just going to go ahead and bring him in now. It is my pleasure to welcome the great Stephen Ellis to the podcast. He's been on before. Uh, you can follow his work at Daily Faceoff. You can follow him on Twitter as well. Just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to international hockey. And now he's gone through his uh, international travels as well. So, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you again, bud. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, Stephen, you are what I would say uh, an international hockey nut. Uh and I am as well. And I think that's why we get along so well, <laughs> in addition to other things, but probably that mostly. Um, this is your you know, first opportunity. You went to Switzerland, uh, had a chance to experience the World Under-18 Championship live. Um, of course, part of your prospect work with Daily Faceoff and doing draft rankings and all those things. Um, I know, you know my first trip to Europe was also uh, thanks to the World Under-18 Championship. I went to Minsk, Belarus. Uh, so Switzerland, a little different, a little different for uh, for you. But 
How did you think of the overall experience of just being able to be on site for an international event like that? That was awesome. Um, you know, because like all my international tournament experience had been going to the United States, going to Canada. So it was kind of like, a, it's just kind of status quo. But to go here, you know, Switzerland was the one place I always wanted to visit. That Like, I'm not someone who cares about travel too much. Like, if I'm going somewhere, I want to be a part of an event. And that's what made this really cool. But uh, Switzerland is so beautiful. It's so nice. Um, probably got to be one of the most expensive countries in the world. Um, especially <laughs> yep. when you're looking at, like, the yeah, the price of, like, a McDonald's coffee being, like, $12 Canadian was, like, hold on a second there um but uh you know it was it was cool you know the people were great uh, i got to meet a couple of the the local swiss reporters and i got to give a huge shout out to the slovakian hockey fans i've tweeted about them a few times but the way they celebrated even just losing that bronze medal game they were so happy to just be there where you look at that slovakian team and thought like they were winning with like a, just over a minute to go in the bronze medal game they thought it was going to happen yet the players were still happy just to be there but they were just they were saying like the fans made it worth it so that was cool so the whole experience was great um i'm now starting to feel the the post um travel not feeling greatness uh, i've done a few COVID tests <laughs> luckily I'm, I'm negative on that point but uh i could tell you that the having to not or not sleeping a lot and then going straight to the toronto maple leafs game last night uh not good for me physically <laughs> no it's not it's always hard i actually i remember many times coming back from that tournament it's such a grind too right it's you know it's two weeks essentially mm -hmm. of hockey and then you've got everything else and you know you're also trying to do some things keeping an eye on the playoffs at home too i mean that's always the tough thing to do when you're over there depending on the time difference and it's it's always a significant amount of hours so that's difficult too but you know this this was a tournament that was defined by you know just superstar players for this draft um no Connor bedard no adam fantilli no Matthew mitchkov so you and no leo carlson so you take away the top four guys that we've been talking about all year but then it gave everybody else an opportunity to shine and of course the united states ends up beating sweden three to two in overtime um it, u.s had to come back from a two nothing deficit ryan leonard scores the game-winning goal um you know that was an interesting game i mean you were there i was watching it from home um, you know, U.S. didn't play well, but in the end, Ryan Leonard, who's one of the big three of the U.S., including Will Smith and Gabe Perot, um, he delivered on the in, in the biggest moment possible. I mean, just your overall thoughts of of that U.S. team, that run, and then the the way that the tournament ended. See, now I know you've watched the this group and you've watched the the American team very closely the last couple of years, but I don't want to say this was like the best uh, that we've seen. But in terms of the the way they dominated this tournament, you know that the that top line alone was just unstoppable. And you see in the, the point scores, and you see Smith, Perot, and Leonard near the top there. You see uh, what Cole Eiserman and James Haggins were doing out there. I think it's nuts that you can throw out your third line, and on that third line, you've got one of the best prospects for 2024 and one of the best prospects for 2025. Like that's not fair, no matter what you play against, but this is a team that managed to score seven goals in almost every game they played. Like that's from a pure offensive standpoint, that was nuts where a guy like Oliver Moore can have a quiet tournament in retrospect and it'd still be like, he still would have been almost every other team's best player. Um,
So it was it was good to see that team kind of shine through. You know, they they played probably their worst hockey in the first half of that game against Sweden. But uh, oh, yeah. you, you just you don't want to give you you don't want to have to give the carrot to that team because they were gonna they were gonna chase it and make it worth it. And um, you know, it was also great to see Cole Hudson a lot up uh, close. You know, seeing a lot of the same similarities between him and his, his brother Lane, except you know Cole's a bit more physical. He's a bit bigger, and I personally think I like him more at this point in his development than than Lane at the same age. So. If, if that's what we're getting, then wow. But uh, just the way that team just attacked you in strides and speed and with skill, and that was probably some of the best hockey I've seen out of Will Smith, uh, a guy yeah. who could go fifth, sixth, seventh overall. It just He just dominated with the skill. So, uh, yeah, that team was just – it was a blast. It, they, they were the, the best team in the tournament, so they well-deserved got that championship game, even though it wasn't an easy final game for them. No, it wasn't. And, and just to your point too, talk about Will Smith. Um, this is a guy we, we recently featured him. Uh, we've got a bunch of NHL draft profiles coming out on flow hockey and we have one coming. We have one available on, on Will Smith that you can see on YouTube, but he matched the U S record for, for points in a single tournament here, 20 points for him um, at this tournament, matching Jack Hughes, one point shy of, of uh, one point shy of, beating or, or matching Nikita Kucherov from the 2011 world under 18s. And I, I was at that tournament. I never thought I'd see that ever again. Um, and then, you know, I've basically seen it almost happen twice now in the last couple of years with Jack Hughes and Will Smith, but just a remarkable talent. Will Smith is, you know, dy- dynamic. He's the MVP of the tournament, the director at award winner as the best forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, you definitely go check out that feature about him. We talk a lot about his dynamic skill, um, but you know, and you, that was kind of interesting to watch him play off of, um, you know, the, you know, the moment essentially he raised his game at a level that I think was pretty, you know, pretty substantial. Um, you know, I think that he showed throughout that entire tournament that there was another level for him to get to. I mean, Steven, you've watched them too. Like we both watched these, these guys relative to what we saw, um, throughout the season from Will Smith, what do you like how do you kind of square that you know in terms of when we're talking about draft rankings how he couldn't have raised his stock a whole lot more but in your in your mind seeing a performance like that did that change anything for you or did it move the needle even more see i had him kind of as my number six guy uh, behind zach benson and i think you know there's a huge argument to make him probably number five there and um it, you know, probably depending on where Mitchkoff goes, probably could even go fourth in the draft. But um, with, yeah. with him, it's just my, my biggest complaint about him is it feels like sometimes he tries to do too much. And mm-hmm. when you have two outstanding line mates like he does in, in Perot and in, in Leonard, you could use them a bit more. And, but the thing is, like, he just gets away with so much. He's got the skill that he can go out there and it'll be three on one and he'll come out ahead of you or or he'll shoot from far away when you're not expecting it and that works out. So this guy's just such a dynamic forward and, and that's why he's getting so much attention this year. And I think, you know, we saw it even with him as an underage guy a year ago where at the same tournament, he just, he took over and he was able to put out these these shifts where you're like, whoa, holy crap, how did you do that? So a lot of highlight reel moves there. So fairly you know improved the stock for me but it definitely like solidified like yeah this guy's gonna be huge for whatever team picks him up yeah and i think you made a good point like the 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 specter of matt vay mitchkov in the in the top however many picks we don't know where he's gonna go we don't know how teams are ultimately going to decide um 
just as a as a quick sidebar on the Mitchkov topic, Ivan Rashashenko did manage to get out of his contract with Amengard Omsk um, in uh, the KHL. He's coming over to play for the Washington Capitals. Probably ends up in Hershey to start at least. But um, you know, as a guy that battled leukemia, and now he's coming over. So you know that offers a glimmer of hope, but I think that the deal that Marashashenko had is a little different than the one that Mitchkov has. We don't have a lot of details about Mitchkov, who's under contract for an, an extended period of time, but that's just a brief aside away from the under 18 worlds that, you know, there's a lot of those, those guys that were under contract in the KHL that they either their contracts expired and they're coming over immediately, or in the case of Marashashenko, they actually got out of their contract early um, thanks to the agreement. So, I don't think that changes a ton for Mitchkov, but he does where he ends up is going to really affect the stock. And one guy who I think is kind of in that mix, and I don't know if he is for you, but I think he is for me, is is Ryan Leonard, who, you know, he had this tremendous tournament. He scores the game-winning goal. You talk to scouts and they say, this is a guy you win with. This is a guy, and and literally USA wins with him. Um, he wins the game for them. Uh, physical, powerful, skilled still what about ryan leonard's tournament i mean he did he doesn't produce as much as perot and smith but there are definitely scouts out there that have him ahead of both of them so what are your thoughts on 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 him and how this tournament impacts your view of him i know there were some people that put leonard down as the mvp of that tournament so i could tell you a lot of people were very uh impressed with him and i was too and you know he was like for, for me the heading into the season it was like what could Will Smith do what could Oliver Moore do but Ryan Leonard just he's there there weren't many games where I think he was not the best player out there you know he was uh, the physicality he I, he probably brings a bit more of an overall game than Smith um, you know like the mm-hmm. Smith there's so much of that is skill so much of that is playmaking the way he thinks the game but you know Leonard's could do all that he's very physical um, could definitely score a lot we know that's not an issue and uh, he just whenever the games got important uh, in that medal round he just kind of took over it was like you know, he I in the first half of that championship game, I was like, man, he's making mistakes. He looks nervous. But it was like when it went to overtime, he was my pick to score because he can just, again, take over. He's really good positionally. Um, I'm uh, he's a top 10 prospect for me. I think there's just, you know, guys that could be that good, that that skilled, but also bring that physicality could be a good playmaker. And, you know, I thought he also looked good in his own zone to me, just over the course of the year, he looks like a much more well-rounded player than he was uh, at the start. And I think he's just very confident. I think getting the opportunity playing against some college guys helped. And, you know, this is someone who, who trains with pros, you know, his brother, obviously uh, in the Nashville organization, he's worked with pros uh, off the ice um, during the summer for years. So this is someone that's been kind of just building up for this moment and I think, you know, um, he doesn't need to go out there and produce a lot to get it to, to be valuable. And I think that's something that will will get teams excited about him. Yeah, no question about it. I also I also want to talk a little bit about the numbers and the NTDP records that fell. You know, if you follow junior hockey, you understand the alumni base that the NTDP has. It's all of basically, you know, many of the best American players in the game today went through that program. All of the recent top First, first overall picks that are American came from that program. Jack Hughes, Austin Matthews, you know, other guys, Jack Eichel that, that went very high in the draft, Patrick Kane. Um, yet now there is a new single season leader for the history of the NTDP in scoring, and that's Gabe Perot at 132 points this season. The previous record was 117 points. He shattered 
the record set by Austin Matthews. Uh, Jack Hughes had 116 points. Um, he had two seasons of over 100 points, which, you know, crazy. But you've got all of those guys that, you know, we, and then Smith also broke Matthews's record. He just did it after Perot did. And so he's now second all time and five points behind with 127 points. Knowing what you know about the NTDP, about the program, I mean, did you ever think that we would see a 132-point season from anybody? And if you went into the beginning of the season and said it was going to be Gabe Perot that did it, would you have ever believed that? No. And, and you know what? I, I kind of do expect those numbers set by those star guys in the in the mid-2010s to, to continue to fall. Um, and part of that is because, you know, the, the program continues to get better. The depth continues to get better year after year. And as more high quality players continue to take this route, they're not going to the OHL all the time. They're not um, skipping out to play just, just in the USHL. And I think that's kind of interesting because you know you look at William Moore for next year, for example, that's a guy I've, I've seen a lot of over the last couple of years here in the GTHL. It's like, well, you know, he, he's lived most of his life in Canada. You know, that's the, 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 the thought of him going over there seems a little weird, but this is an opportunity where the talent just continues to get better with Perot. No, I did not expect that to happen whatsoever. And, you know, so many times this year and talking to the scouts, it's like, you know, he's the third best player on that line. And I'd still argue that, uh, you know, in that tournament, he was still probably the third best guy on that line. Um, but you don't, break the scoring record by accident like that's the thing it's like right. people will point out that you know he's got two great playmakers that do all the work uh or could do a lot of the work and he'll be there for like the rebound or whatever but i think the one thing he showed in the last half of the season was just how skilled of a player he is um with just some of the creativity uh he's a great playmaker he got a lot of assists in this tournament um but he's not just out there just getting rebounds kind of like the the thought of it was kind of early in the season where it's like, oh he's just there and just finishing the plays off which you know the fact that he's in those scoring positions, I think, is so important. So do I think he's a guy that can, you know, be the play driver at the next level? I don't. Um, but if he's got a guy who can, uh, and we know that, you know, that top line going to the same school, we'll, we'll continue to see more of that. Um, I think that just he's, he's a finisher. And, you know, that's the the fact he put those many goals up this year, this many points and everything, you know, it's it's something where he's he's going to be very legit. And he was probably one of the guys that moved up the most for me in this uh, tournament, uh, just because, you know, it, like it, it, it's again, it felt like he wasn't relying on his teammates as much as maybe at some other points this year. He was the one doing a lot of the work. So um, yeah. while I'm not I, there's there's still some concerns. The skating is not my favorite, but I still think just from a skill perspective, the guy's got a lot going for him. Yeah, the skill, and I, I just think the hockey sense is other is is next level for him, and and really that's what that's the defining characteristic of his game for me because you know we talk about the skating, the size, the strength. There, he's he's not the biggest. He's not going to blow you away with speed. He's not going to do you know he, you know we 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 haven't released his profile yet, but you're going to hear a lot of these same things in the profile that we that we produced about him. But but you know the thing about. Gabe Perot and, you know, son, son of Yannick Perot, brothers, uh, Jacob, you know, plays in the duck system uh, and a first round draft pick. He just makes so many plays. I mean, just makes so many, so many plays. And, and that's the thing, you know, even, even when he's not producing the creativity that he shows, you know, the, his ability to make passes in with, with his body in like weird positions. Like there was one like little hook pass that he gave kind of around his body that sprung Will Smith for an open chance. And it's just like, not many guys can do that and, and execute at that level. 
Um, and then 132 points. I never thought we would see a 120 point season. You know, I worked worked there, been around some of the best players that have ever played there, and have watched you know the Jack Eichels and the Jack Hughes and the and the and the Austin Matthews very closely. Never thought that we would see that. And and the fact that it was Gabe Perot, it's not a mistake. He is a big draft riser. Um, you take some of the concerns into account, but I think when you have a player that thinks the game at the level that he seems to, that's where I see a, a tremendous opportunity um, in front of them for, you know, just basically, you know, for him to be a legitimate NHL player. Um, when at the beginning of the season, you could, I could have said maybe, you know, I don't know. I, he's a draft pick for sure. Is he a first rounder? I don't know. Then he starts putting up the points. Then you start watching him more and he just, the maturity is, is incredible. I do want to talk about two more. Well, there we could talk about a lot of USA players, but I want to move on. But before we do that, I do want to talk about Trey Augustine because I think he often gets overlooked um, in terms of how much of a player he is. We have our most recent draft profile about Trey Augustine is now available on YouTube and Full Hockey. Um, Steven, you got a chance to see him up close and personal in that gold medal game. To me, that was his best game. Um, and I also thought that uh, that that's one of the best games I've seen him play internationally, period, although he did have some good moments at the World Junior Championship. But to me, Trey Augustine solidified himself in the conversation with the Carson Bjarnasons, with the Michael Robles, with the Adam Guyons, you know, the different goalies that we've talked about as potential top guys. Did he do that for you? And then also just in that gold medal game performance, I mean, I don't think USA wins without him. I mean, I I, I could have seen a path forward for that for them without him having the performance that he did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Augustine is one of my favorite goalies in this draft, and you know, you look at his overall record this year, and I think it was like something he like like one loss in, in regulation. One loss this year. in regulation. Like, one loss in regulation. Yes. Yeah. So so there you go, and you you look at him at the World Juniors, and you know he was great there. He had to take over the starting role from the guy who was the number one uh, during the summer. And like, that's no yeah. small thing to happen there. And and he was very good in that tournament, you know, not so great in that bronze medal game, but you look at the goalies at both ends, neither were. So that's, that is what it is. <laughs> but, you know, for a guy like Augustine, there wasn't a lot of times this year where he had to seal the show. And a lot of that goes to, you know, when you play on a team that good, it happens like that. But when you look at some of the great defense cores, that the, the U18 team has had. This is not one of them. This is a no. very kind of ho-hum, you know. Not a lot of these guys, I think, are going to be like NHLers. And he had to make some big saves. But that game in the game Sweden where, you know, Noah Erlidin was was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I the, well, My one concern there for the Americans was like, they never seemed to shoot high on him for a guy as small as that was. They kept shooting towards his pads. And um, with Augustine, you know, He's a guy talking to him uh, around the junior time, World Juniors, and he was saying that he's a a big um, UC Saros fan. And that's something a lot of these goalies are becoming. Like, they're all fans of him because he's not this big guy, and Augustine's not either. And you could kind of see just the way that he's very athletic and the way he uses his his legs to to push himself around the crease as effectively as he was and how he reads the play. You know, you could see some signs there. you know, with this goalie class, I'm still not committing to who my number one is. You know, it, it really seems to depend yeah, kind of. It's hard. Like, just depending on the month. It's it's not an easy time. And, like, that's not necessarily meaning it's a bad goalie draft. It's not a great one by any means. But it's, like, there's not a lot of guys that I, I, I can pin as your number one. But with the way Augustine plays, is like, 
I think, again, he was so underrated, but I don't think they win a lot of the games that they do this year without the way he plays because, you know, yeah, you expect this team to score a lot, but, you know, defensively, they give up a lot of shots still. And I thought, you know, this tournament didn't necessarily hurt or help him, but it just kind of, again, shows that, you know, this is a guy that when you need him to be good, he can be good. And I'm kind of excited to see where he he goes the next couple of years. Yeah, and, you know, I think he's going to get a lot of starts at Michigan State right off the hop. You know, I think that helps in terms of, you know, projecting him out and his development arc and all those different things. Like, he's going to play a lot in college. Um, you know, I think he's got a great comfort level with with Adam Nightingale, the head coach at Michigan State, who was the NTDP U18 coach last year. Um, and, I, you know, the one thing that Dan Muse said to us in, in the piece that we did was the thing that really stands out about Trey Augustine is how he prepares. Um, his preparation for games, the you know, that calm demeanor in the net, I think that's born out of his preparation. He's such a hard worker. Um, everybody said, you know, his his unrelenting work ethic to be better um, and, and to constantly improve is, you know, something that is unique to him, even among his peers. Um, so I found that very interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see where they go. But, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on on the champs and, and you know, I we can't go through the entire tournament, but what I do want to ask you, Steven is, you know, away from team USA, was there any player there that you came away from in this tournament? And you said, I got to move this guy up. And it's the one thing I will say is like people like us, we look at these tournaments, we, we are looking at the complete picture, but single events can move the needle in certain ways. They, they reveal certain things. So my question to you is, even given the small sample, was there anybody that did enough in this event that said to you, I got to move this guy up because he's done, you know, there are things about his game that I'm seeing here that I maybe haven't seen before that I didn't know he was good at or that I think he's a lot better at than I thought anybody in particular stick out when I when I talk in those terms. Yeah, you know, it, the thing about this tournament is it didn't feel like there was any massive risers, and there definitely wasn't a ton of fallers. But um, the one that I think was the guy that really just, you know, was good to see consistently was Otto Stenberg. And, mm. you know, someone that in my f- kind of mid-season rankings was like, yeah, this guy, you know, top 20, I'm, I'm liking this. And then just watching him in the SHL and seeing how, like, it didn't seem like he was confident at all. There was games he wasn't playing a ton and wasn't getting important minutes. And it's like it was nice to see him go out there and, and be able to dominate for the Swedes. But a big reason for that though, was because of David Edstrom, his, his line mate, who mm. I thought was, you know, a guy that I I didn't get to see a whole ton of this year. And it was like, I wanted to see what he was capable of and talking to some scouts like, yeah, this is going to be one of the best players in this tournament. And I'd say, yeah, you know, he was Sweden did not have a perfect tournament by any means, which is kind of funny because they just had the one loss and was an overtime. But, you know, they, they this is a team that I think, you know, once they kind of got to the lead, they kind of kept it safe outside of those games against Canada where they kind of just continued to obliterate everybody. But it was a thing where it was, it was a good a good job kind of by the top nine for the most part. But for David Edstrom out there, I just thought this was someone who, you know, was very quick, very aggressive. He kind of just did a, a lot of things out there for that group. And, uh, you know, Stenberg got a lot of the credit. Uh, he was, Stenberg was my MVP pick. It was very close. Um, sorry, no, not Stenberg. He was, he was one of the forward picks. It was, uh, it was Dalibor Dvorsky was my MVP pick, but 
with Stenberg, I just thought, you know, the way he's able to control the play against kids his own age with that level of confidence. And I talked to him and it's like, what's the deal? Like, how are you so good in international play against your own age group? But you just kind of, <laughs> you're, you're quiet against the men. And he's just like, it's part of it is confidence. And part of it is just get, you know, getting that ice time. And um, he says like, it's so motivating to be trusted in a situation like this and getting to play those minutes in the SHL uh, is a good learning experience, but then you come here and you're expected to be a big player. He says he thrives under that. So to me, for sure, it's it's, it's Stenberg and, and Edstrom, the two guys I really love watching. Yeah, I think that's those are two really good picks because and 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 that's a great point about Stenberg too, is is internationally he does look different. You know, you watch him among his peers in Sweden, you say this guy is so much better than most of these players, you know, and he's he's such a I mean it makes such an impact. Um, and yeah, so now to see him and, and it's important to see him in this environment, do it. You know, I think that the other, you, the, the full picture, it, it's still, maybe he is, maybe he is a, you know, a 20 or below pick, you know, that very well could be, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but you know, I think he showed great compete. I thought his, 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 uh, pace was better. I thought his, his skill looked really good and he had some finishing ability and Edstrom. I mean, I just think that the upside and the ceiling on him is what, you know, scouts are certainly drooling over. There's there's so much there to like in the size package and everything else. So I think that's really good. Um, why, I want to hit you with two more things before we go, including one little draft lottery bit. But before before I get you out of here, I do want to talk about, you know, some of the guys that may be underwhelmed, guys that we were hoping could come into this tournament and make a statement and didn't. Um, that's not to say that these guys are bad or that they're going to be bad or that they're prospects, are, but, it, but it, is a, it is a key moment for them and not everybody delivers. So any thoughts on anybody that you thought, man, he, he really didn't help himself here. I want to zero in on Canada here and for sure. Got to go with Cam Allen. Um, Mm. I, I don't even know what to say about him. It seemed like he was actively trying to play for the opponents every game. Um, This was someone who, you know, just a lot of my notes on him was just giveaway, giveaway, giveaway. And I was so high on him. You know, when we saw him last year in Guelph and got to see him a bit, got to see him a year um, before he was drafted into the OHL uh, the year before uh, the COVID year and thought, you know, this guy's got a good future here. I still think there's a lot of upside there, but like decision-making, it just like, I had talked to a scout who was asking like, do you know if he's concussed? It's like, that's never a good thing to say about a guy in a situation like no. that. It just, unfortunately, he just did not look like he was just all there. And it's too bad because I, I know he's a quality player. And I think, you know, he could be a first, uh, like a, a first round prospect, but he just, he didn't really do himself favors there where he was making mistakes. There were some bad penalties. It just, it didn't, it wasn't great. Um, the other one being Riley Height, a guy that I'm, I'm definitely very high on for his offensive skill, but he didn't really produce a ton. And he came in, I think it was after the second or third game he joined Canada. And um, it looked like he just wasn't comfortable. You know, this is someone who mm-hmm. had to play some pretty big minutes in the WHL, had to do some big things. And I just, he, it just didn't seem like he was ever at a hundred percent. And it's, and a, and for a, a guy like that, you, too, so that, that can happen too. Yeah. yeah. You know, trying to get yeah, into it's like the it. thing. Yeah. I, the, that, that's the thing I thought that maybe you could attribute to it. It's like, you know, he came late. He just wasn't able to get fully adjusted there, but he just didn't look comfortable with the puck. You know, he was not as uh, you know, as quick, not as as uh, active on the puck as we were used to seeing him. So uh, those are the two guys that to me kind of just underwhelmed. Yeah, it, it was, it, I think that the, the Canadian team was set up to be 
a lot better than it ended up being. Um, and part of that is because of lack of time to prepare, you know, you get the team together, you go over, you practice a few times, then you play. Um, it's really hard to do that. You know, and I, I think at times too, Andrew Crystal was the guy that really had a lot to prove in this. And, uh, you know, I wasn't there, so I didn't, you know, but I watched every game and it's just like, Towards the end, I think he started to find himself a little bit more. I thought he was good in the bronze medal game. He had some key plays in the bronze medal game. Um, but I think that a lot of the concerns that we have about him as a player, feet, you know, just the feet with the size. It's not, you know, I, I always say this is like, you know, you can be a smaller player and a and a or, or a bad skater. You really can't be both. Um, I don't think he's a bad skater. I just don't think it's, you know, we're talking NHL caliber the threshold is so high for that. Um, and, and so, yeah, but that's, that's one. Um, and then one last thing about the under 18s, you know, you are Canadian. I, I think we should have the full disclosure. We got a Canadian on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, but we saw Macklin Celebrini, who we've been watching over here in the United States for all year, go and play for Canada at the under 18 worlds. And then he ties the Canadian record for points in a single tournament with 50 on the last play of the game of their last game scoring the game winning goal of the bronze medal um i'm not sure how much you've seen celebrini up close and in person this season but thoughts on that because basically that's a continuation of what he's done he was also named ushl rookie of the year this week um that's a continuation of what he's done but on the other hand it was incredible to see him that dominant among his peers even though he's a year younger than most of them your thoughts on him that was the first time I've got to see him up in person, and wow, um, that's uh, you know I I talk a lot to to Ryan Sykes about how seeing him in, in Chicago, and he always says like this guy's gonna be the real deal, and it's like yeah, yeah, that was that's exactly the impression I got. You know, he struggled in that first game. It seemed like he was almost always having to play defense um, because of just how much Sweden was kind of controlling the play there. Um, but you know, it seemed like he took that first game loss personally because he just went on a rampage after that. It was great against Germany. Obviously, we saw how good he was with with Matt Wood and, and Cal Ritchie um, during that medal round, in particular. But just you know, like I've seen a lot more of Cole Eiserman, and you know, when you look at Eiserman, this is a guy who's got so much skill and he's got a great shot, and that shot's the thing that scouts will continue to look at. But I think from an all around perspective, you know, there's a there's a reason why Celebrini's being considered the top pick for next year, and um, you know. I think it's still too early to say how strong of a draft this would be um, or next year's draft will be and how maybe he'd compare to some of the top guys this year. But with Celebrini, it's just the, the, the hockey IQ there is just off the charts and the, he's willing to take risks with the puck. He's willing to go against one versus three guys out there and he'll, he'll come out on top often because he's just kind of got everything going from him for a skill perspective. So, uh, you know, first time seeing him, the, talk getting to talk to him and it's funny saying like are you going to cheer for the americans i know you're you're like good friends with cole eyes and he's like yeah i'm cheering for the americans and it's like i don't think i'd ever expect someone from hockey canada to see, <laughs> say they were cheering for the americans but um yeah that was that was cool and then and then the best part was when celebrini actually uh told jd burke um from elite prospects that he uh he wants the canucks to to rebuild that was pretty funny yeah exactly exactly i mean you know mac Great kid, great personality. Um, it's been great to get to watch him this year. Um, and then to see him doing on that stage was was pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, so we'll we'll get into we talk about him all the time on this podcast, but I had to get somebody else talking about him so that people don't think that I'm just talking until I'm blue in the <laughs> face that 
this kid's the real deal. But um, before before we let you go, do want to talk about the NHL draft lottery. I'm going to close out the show talking about that a little bit more. But I have a bit of a different question for you. Like we've all talked about, like where's the best fit for Connor Bedard, all this other stuff. When you look up and down the lottery range this year, which of those teams, like which of those teams, is in the worst position? Like you didn't have to finish last this year. Like, I mean, like, I'm talking, like, where they are as an organization, as a franchise right now. I, I think I have my pick, but I'd be interested to hear, like, as you look at the, you know, the Ducks finished last, the, the Blue Jackets won a game, a meaningless game at the end of the season that, that tanked their chances of getting the best odds at Bedard. You know, the Blackhawks went on a tiny little run that cost them the, <laughs> cost them the best odds. I mean, in that, in that range, Montreal, all of them, you know, where – which of those teams do you feel like is like really kind of in trouble <laughs> you know, or, or just in the weakest position moving forward. And that to me is where, you know, Connor Bedard suddenly becomes much more important. Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Very good take. It's a tough one. I wish, look- I wish I prepped you for this because I, but I, cause I was thinking about it. I was like, I need help with this. <laughs> it's like, it's tough. It's like, you know, for me, when, at the beginning of the season, I should probably say maybe mid-October, it was like, I got to ask, like, wh- which team would make the most sense for him to go to? And I'm like, Anaheim, because that team's just going to have a very solid future. They got some good depth at every position. I'm very excited to see what that team's going to do. Uh, it's like, oh, man, I, 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 the first name that just comes to mind, and it, it isn't all just for hockey reasons, is the, the Arizona Coyotes. But even then, you're looking at a team that's got Logan Cooley, and it's going to yeah. – they're still going to look good. I don't know. Yeah. It's like – I almost feel like if, if we want to count a team outside of the top five, like maybe do you go like St. Louis, a team that's like kind of just in this mushy middle where they've sold off, right. but they don't have like a, all the pieces right now. Uh, Philadelphia, maybe same thing, Washington. Um, but I think just no matter where he goes, it's going to, he's going to make that team significantly better. And, you know, uh, as a person who's based in Eastern Canada, you know, you look at, if he goes to Anaheim, he goes to Arizona, I'm probably not going to see him a ton. Um, but you know, you, you see him on a team like Columbus and a group that's got, they spent the money and got Johnny Goudreau and they got some, some decent young guys in the system that would go a long way. But I'd say if you, if a team that wouldn't make a lot of sense right now, I'm going St. Louis, but obviously the 10th best odds, they don't have a great shot. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's good. You know, I think to me, the team that looks like it's like in the most trouble and it's, it's in a variety, like, I mean, to me, it's Chicago is in, is in like a really bad spot. Like just not, Mm -hmm. they're there on purpose. Like they're there on purpose. It's not, it's not like, you know, they have, they basically had to do a teardown, a studs, studs down, teardown, you know, no Jonathan Taves anymore, no Patrick Kane. So you are basically starting over. Um, the question is, you know, are, is Lucas Reichel, Kevin Korchinski, you know, Frank Nazar, recent draft picks, are they core, future core players, or are they future guys that are going to help you? That's the question that needs to be answered. But I think Philadelphia is another one. They're kind of on the front end of this. They're still, you know, like Sean Couturier is still injured. You've got, you know, all the, they kind of fumbled their way into it, not completely on purpose, you know, like. They got guys like Kevin Hayes and, and James Van Riemsdyk. They tried to make a push. Then they got injuries that just destroyed them. Um, but, you know, you've got your core goaltender, different things like that. But I, I think, like, Chicago probably needs – I don't think that there would be anybody in the league outside of Chicago happy if Chicago got uh, got Connor Bedard just because <laughs> they had their they had their good fortune already. And then also, you know, for, for various other reasons that people don't 
want them to to have success anytime soon. But you know, I would. It's interesting, and, and I think it's crazy. I, I can't wait to I can't wait to like dive into once the lottery odds are set. I've I've kind of restrained. I usually do a pre-draft lottery mock draft just to say if nothing changes, here's what it is. But it's going to change, and it could change dramatically. And with Connor Bedard at the top, it feels like it could change your everything about your franchise. So, but but yeah, but Stephen Ellis, ladies and gentlemen, one of the best, a, a great guy, and I'm so happy that you are at Daily Faceoff, uh, holding down the draft coverage over there with Frank Saravalli and, and a great group. Um, where can people find your work, and where are you on Twitter? And just uh, any last plugs for you before we let you go. Yeah, so uh, daily face-off, obviously. Uh, that's where it'll be a lot of my stuff. It's a lot of NHL, a lot of kind of every level of hockey, women's hockey, junior hockey. Actually, today I published uh, my review of well over 100 prospects from the U18s. That took a long time. Uh, and I'm going to have so. uh, some updated draft. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it took a while. Finished the late uh, last night. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, pre-draft stuff, a lot of uh, post-draft stuff. And uh, yeah, my Twitter is SLS Hockey. Used to have a check mark. I don't anymore. Yeah, as so many of us don't. But Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. It's really a pleasure to have you and uh, enjoy the draft lottery and all of the race to uh, put all of our content out as soon as it's over. So, uh, but it's great to have you and glad you're back uh, back on uh, in North America. So thanks again, buddy. Great to have you on the show. I'm very glad to be back. All right. Well, we are so pumped to have uh, to have had Stephen here, but we are going to close things out with the NHL draft lottery. Um, we talked a little bit about with Stephen about that, but I wanted to ask you, the fans, because you are the ones that are most impacted by this. Um, you know, I grew up a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Full disclosure, I would say since I've worked in hockey professionally for the last fifteen years. Um, I don't really have a team anymore. Um, that is Chicago Stadium right behind me, but that's more for nostalgic purposes. Um, so I am agnostic, I guess, when it comes to uh, the NHL draft lottery. You, however, the fans are not. So I asked the listeners of Talking Hockey Sense and my followers on Twitter, what are your rituals? What are your, what are you trying to do? What are your superstitions? What are your good luck charms? And you brought them to me. And I am so pleased that you did because I am so excited to talk about those because honestly, there's really nothing you can do, but you can try. And I appreciate you tried. So we're, we're going, we're starting things off hot with CBJ prospects because CBJ prospects they have a lot of skin in the game here. This is a possible, you know, Connor, Connor Bedard feels like a real possibility. And CBJ Prospect says, I'll just say the jersey I'm wearing to the CBJ draft lottery watch party is a bit of, it's only stupid if it doesn't work. And so I, I had to ask a follow-up and a question, you know, I had to make sure that I understood. And and CBJ Prospect said, the, the, the jersey they're going to wear, it's a Kent Johnson throwback Canada jersey. So that's, for Connor Bedard, who was on that team, but also Kent Johnson went to Michigan, which is where Adam Fantilli goes. And then he's also probably going to bring uh, a couple of, uh, you know, additional jerseys like the Russian jersey and uh, maybe a Sweden jersey so that uh, they can cover all bases there. But CBJ Prospects, I wish you nothing but the best in that. I hope that it works out for you. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that Bedard or Fantilli at CBJ makes a ton of 
a ton of sense. All right. We're going to move on to the Chicago Blackhawks fan portion of this because we got a good one from Pete. And Pete is saying he is going to go to Tankathon and spin the Tankathon wheel until the Blackhawks get the first pick. And he's going to leave that tab open like that until the draft lottery. A good strategy. Just basically saying if we if you have never run a Tankathon thing, you go to Tankathon, just search it up on Google. It'll run you a draft lottery simulation and it will either crush your dreams or it will make all of your fantasies come true. Although it's not really true because it can't happen. Uh, we also got one from long haired gap and he says his ritual for the draft lottery is going to be to convince himself that Blackhawks general manager, Kyle Davidson has a plan. If the picks, if they don't get the top two picks. And I think they do, you know, I mean, basically the Blackhawks are in a position now where I think that they're going to be thrilled if they're in the top four. They know that that means it's either going to be, you know, uh, Leo Carlson, or it's going to be, you know, one of the other, you know, Matt, Matt Vemichkov, or maybe it's a Will Smith, a Ryan Leonard, who, who they have a lot of options if they're still within that top four. I think that's where they would want to be. You know, you pose this question about the NHL draft lottery, and you're going to get a series of responses from Detroit Red Wings fans who are completely resigned to the fact that they will never win the draft lottery. I believe the last time they, you know, they, they've, they've not picked first in a very long time. Um, and so our, our, a loyal listener of this podcast, MVP, I feel your pain. He says, I'm a Wings fan, so the night usually involves a lot of crying. And I can only imagine why. I mean, when you don't, when you don't, when you don't win the draft lottery, when you've had so many opportunities and you think about it too, where the Red Wings are in their development as an organization, you know, they've got their goalie of the future in Sebastian Kosa. They've got their defenseman of the future in Simon Edmondson, and they already have Mort Sider, who's their defenseman of the now and the future. You've got long-term agreement with Dylan Larkin. You've got Lucas Raymond. So you feel like a core is starting to form, but now you need a centerpiece. Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, one of those players could be a centerpiece. So if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, you're begging for it. Just like Yost built is. I'm a Wings fan, he says. So I clearly haven't hit the right combo yet. So if you have any suggestions, send them to at Yost built because they're going to need uh, some suggestions. Maybe anything you could do, unless you're not a Detroit Red Wings fan. And then in which case, don't even, you know, don't even bother. Um, but here, this is probably my favorite suggestion of them all. It is the most involved, and this one comes from Tom. Tom says, I would trade the sixth round pick for Taylor Hall with the promise to trade him back to Boston within a week. He's clearly the good luck charm for the NHL draft lottery. Hashtag bring it to broad. Well, certainly the Philadelphia Flyers could use some good luck. Um, they could use a top tier pick. The last time they picked this, you know, that high in the draft, second overall, Nolan Patrick. Didn't work out. They ended up trading him. Patrick, unfortunately, had a ton of injuries. Still hasn't managed to um, put a complete season together. It's bad luck. And so now you need a little good luck. Taylor Hall, why is he the good luck charm? Well, he was the first of four first overall picks of the Edmonton Oilers. He also went to the New Jersey Devils, and they got Nico Heischer. And, well, they got they got Jack Hughes after that. So Jack Hughes, he got Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, he, Two first overall picks. Taylor Hall is magic. All right. Our, we also have Jesse and Jesse. They're the last team that could possibly get 
Connor Bedard, who is a North Vancouver native. And Jesse says, usually I wear my lucky socks, but being a Canucks fan, I'm beginning to think they don't work. If they work this year, those are magic socks and I will buy them from you because uh, just wash them first. Our last one, and this is another good ritual. Big Tortilla, thinking with his stomach, and I appreciate that. Big Tortilla says, I have a pre-draft lottery meal. I make carne asada tacos with homemade tortillas because I am Big Tortilla, and then my coyotes get pushed back in the draft. I look to my paper, and I see who the best players are that we could pick. So maybe not the carne asada this time around if the coyotes keep getting pushed back, but I think you know they got Logan Cooley last year. They got some really good draft prospects. Clayton Keller came around, you know, could you add another big piece in this draft lottery? Very possible. So maybe not carne asada, maybe something else this time around big tortilla, but we appreciate you sending in your suggestions. Well, that's about all the time we have for this week. I really appreciate Stephen Ellis coming in. I appreciate all of you for sending in your good luck charms. If I were to have a good luck charm, um, I, you know, I, I think what I used to do is my good luck charm was, uh, spearmint gum spearmint gum and if the luck went bad you change out the gum and then if it doesn't turn around you changed out did it mean anything no but it seems to help so that's my good luck ritual i won't be chewing any gum on monday night i don't care who wins i just care that we're going to get an order for the top half of the draft and we are going to love it it is on monday may 8th the NHL did move the time back to 8 p.m. Eastern for the draft lottery. So now you have to wait one hour longer than you were supposed to to see where Connor Bedard is going to end up. But we will have complete coverage post-lottery on Flow Hockey. Do not miss that. And while you're at Flow Hockey, make sure you subscribe. We have the Kelly Cup playoffs and the Clark Cup playoffs. Clark Cup is going into the conference finals. We have the Youngstown Phantoms versus the Chicago Steel. We got the Fargo Force versus the Lincoln Stars. Best of five series. That starts this weekend. You will not want to miss that. Macklin Celebrini is back with Chicago, fresh off of that tournament win, uh, or turn, the bronze medal with Canada. And then also in the ECHL, we're about to head into the second round. Going to be a lot of fun. Some great series there. All of the division finals, one step away from the conference finals, and then two steps away from the Kelly Cup being handed out. You will be able to see every single game of the Kelly Cup playoffs on Flow Hockey. So subscribe today. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, you can follow us on YouTube. You can follow us on Flow Hockey. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch us on the Flow Sports app. So do not miss a single episode. We've got lots more NHL draft stuff. Next week, we'll talk about the NHL draft lottery. We might even mock draft a little bit for you. And we'll get some more conversation about Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, and all the guys you've heard about all year, but even some that maybe you haven't heard enough of yet. So join us next week on Talking Hockey Sense. This has been a pleasure. My thanks to Stephen Ellis. Huge thanks to Nico Reina for producing today's show. Thanks to everybody that sent in their superstitions and good luck charms. I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.